Morning, guys. How's everyone doing? How was your Thanksgiving? Good. Well, it is good to be back. Selahs are so refreshing and awesome. But I have to say, there is nowhere I'd rather be on Sunday morning than right here with you guys, because I miss it. Um, it's good, and it's good to be refreshed, but I really miss it. So um, we had kind of a big week in our family. Um, for those of you that don't know, we're raising little tiny men in our household, and they're awesome. And I've always thought that I would raise a house full of boys, and I guess technically I have a house full of boys right now. Um, but we found out that we're having a girl. So my husband invested in some brown paper sacks. <laughs> We're all good. We're getting used to the idea. We've gotten some pink items already. So deep breath, honey. Well, hey, we're in our final series um, of this year, and it's been a fun year. It's been really interesting just to see how God has taken us through this journey of faith. And um, we decided we were going to end on a topic that gives all of the glory to God the Father. We want to remind ourselves that this life, our very breath, the existence of who we are is because of him. And it's just a really simple, serious title. It's just called God. And so we have been discovering more about his names. And the last few weeks, we had some really incredible messages. They were so informative. And I've had the opportunity to study God's name a lot throughout my lifetime, but I've learned so much the last few weeks. So if you missed out, listen to the podcast, the podcast and catch up. It was really good and um, just insightful. So, um, you know, God has so many different names that are listed throughout Scripture, and each one defines a different aspect of his character and who he is. And one series here at church could absolutely never contain the vastness of who God is, and we could never effectively communicate fully to you who God is. And so one thing we're passionate about is equipping you to be building your own faith. And we do the best we can on Sunday mornings with our one hour, but we want to encourage you to equip yourselves. And so in a few weeks, this series is going to wrap up and we'll move on. But I want to encourage you to just kind of stay in this season of learning about the names of God because it will truly change and transform your life if you know the names of God. Because God has different names that fit different seasons and aspects of the things we walk through. And if you know those names, you can cling to God's promises in a way that you would not know how to do otherwise. So a couple simple ideas if you're not really familiar. Of course, God's name lists um, throughout the Bible. But if you don't know where to start, Google is a really powerful tool. You can Google the names of God. I'm serious. And it'll give you references and ideas of how to study. Um, and then also a really simple idea. There is an Instagram feed of this woman that I ran across, and she studied for 100 days different names and aspects of God and Jesus and his character. And it's just, it's simply 100 days with Jesus. And it's so cool because it's simple, but it's so informative. She gives the meaning. She gives the definition. She talks about how it applies to us and the scripture references. Um, so that's just a really easy way for you to stay connected in learning more about the names of God. So we might wonder, why is it important for us to know different names of God? So why not just stick with the simple ones like God for the general public, right? The general public knows God for the most part. And maybe for those that are really in touch with their spiritual side and their faith, they can go with Jesus. 
And then for the super holy spiritual rollers, they can go with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So those three names are so powerful, and I don't want to diminish those, but I want you to know that there's so much more beyond that. Names are important. Why? Well, first, it helps define a relationship between you and someone else. It tells someone if you are close to them, if they're personal in your lives, and it reveals a relationship between the two parties. So if you're distant from a person, you will rarely, if ever, use their name, and sometimes you will even avoid using their name. I've been in kids' ministry for a really long time, and um, choosing children's names has been difficult because the thousands of children that have come through my kids' ministry, um, some have been awesome and some have been not quite so awesome, and so a lot of names are immediately eliminated because of the character that comes out of these little tiny people running around. And so, like, Kip would be like, how about such and such? I'm like, oh, no, I knew this little girl once. Um, So it really kind of narrows down on the name choosing. But if you're tight with a person, you use their name often, and it just kind of flows off your lips naturally. Um, So that kind of shows who is especially close to someone. If you are really close, you know their nickname, you know their middle name, you know if their first given name was their original first given name or if they've changed their name in their lifetime. You know their maiden name, their married name, you know their kids' name, you know their kids' nicknames, you know their dog's name, you know if their dog has a nickname. Okay, so you really know this person, and it makes a relationship with someone special. And it's the same way with God. We're to know God's name, and we're to use his name often. It should flow off of our lips naturally. It should be a part of a cadence of our life, because these names apply in different seasons and situations. So today, we're going to focus on one name. And it's just interesting, because... This name's been echoing in my heart and in my mind for a few months now, and before I knew I was going to be preaching on this name, I began to hear this name a lot, and I was reading it over and over in scripture, and I even wrote it on the board in my kitchen, and I just had been reflecting on it. And um, this name is one that God calls himself, and it comes out of Exodus chapter 3. It's in the story of Moses when he's in the desert, and he sees a bush that is on fire but not burning up. And it's a really powerful story. So I want to just jump right into God's word. It's where the power is. So if you would join with me, Exodus 3, 1, and I'm going to read this to you. Now, do not check out. And I want you to picture as if you were Moses coming upon this image of God and seeing this for the first time. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why is that bush not burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware 
of their suffering. You know, and I, I sat in worship today, and I felt like somebody here needs to know God is aware of your suffering. God has heard the cries of your heart. Even if nobody knows what you're going through, God is aware. And he may not be working on your time frame, but he is working on your behalf. Do not lose heart. God is aware of what you're going through. Okay, so let's carry on. So God says, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. This is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask, what is his name? And then what do I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to be remembered through all generations. I am who I am. Talk about the most confident response in the history of of the universe. I am. Can you imagine if you were able to respond to someone saying, hey, what's your name? Dude, I am. <laughs> I don't think they would see you as very humble, but I wouldn't try it. You're not the God of the universe. So at first glance, to me, it kind of feels like God a little bit avoids his question. God, what's your name? I am. Okay, that's not very definitive. But there is really great significance in why God gave Moses this name and why he revealed his name to Moses to share with his people. Psalm 910 says this, those who know your name put their trust in you. See, God wanted his people to know his name. God wanted his people to trust him. And so his reason for this has great significance. And the reason behind it is because most of the false Canaanite gods had names that were anonymous. And so um, the people had to merely come up with a name to refer to God as. And they came up with Elohim, which means gods, which we normally translate into just God, singular. But it was like the people of Israel wanted all of the Canaanites to know, hey, all of your gods, our God is all of them wrapped into one. He is gods. So Moses comes upon this burning bush and everything changes. The one and only God tells Moses his name. And he says, now go and tell it to my people. This was a really big deal. Because this God who had been unnamed was now named. So knowing God's name, having it spoken from his very voice, it would be the reminder the people needed to know that he was the one true God, that he was the I am. It set him apart 
from other gods that the Canaanites were worshiping. So the very first thing I love about this story, and the first thing that jumps out to me, is that God takes time to capture Moses' attention and to speak to him. This is so huge. And God doesn't do it in a subtle way, not just like this whisper thought across his heart or his, or his mind where Moses is left going, uh, was that God? No, he takes a completely consumable item in the middle of a hot desert, sets it on fire, and causes it to not burn up. And then God waits for Moses to notice him. I love this. I am got his attention. He was not going to let this one slide. Good grief, I love this story. God took the time to get a human being's attention to speak to him. God knew it would capture his attention. God knew he would take note. And then God says, okay, here he comes. He's coming closer. I'm going to speak now. So the second thing I absolutely love, God tells Moses to take his sandals off because the ground that he is standing on is holy. And this gives me the Jesus chills because this is just unbelievable. Okay, let me break this down for a second. Moses was in a desert, hot sand, scalding sun. Taking his sandals off in this environment would be an incredibly stupid move unless directly ordered by the voice of God. God is always pulling off the impossible so that we cannot question if perhaps it was just happenstance or maybe it was just um, circumstance that caused an event to happen. See, it's the way God works so that we must know it was God. He says, I am able. Sometimes in life, and I know many people in this room can attest to this, you're going to be called to make a decision in obedience to the voice of I am that to onlookers and even to yourself sometimes is going to seem crazy. It's going to seem risky. It's going to seem dangerous. It's going to seem ridiculous. You're going to be worried that you're going to look like a fool. But you know what? When you're in obedience to the God of the universe, to the I am, we are able to do all things that otherwise would be impossible. Moses should not have whipped his sandals off in scalding hot sand, but he trusted God's voice enough. I know some of you probably think, Heidi, you seem like you're a little bit of the, like, slightly radical Jesus, drinking the Kool-Aid kind of chick. I, you're right. <laughs> I am. I know. But you know what, guys? I just so long that this is not just something we play. That we don't just show up on Sunday mornings and set up some chairs and pick up our Starbucks so that we feel cool. No, I want this to be a lifestyle. I want this to be where I am the person that God captures the attention of in the desert. I want him to set things on fire for me. And I want him to choose me to speak to. And I want him to choose me to send me out into the danger of things that seem crazy. Because he knows I'll listen and I'll obey. Not because of anything I can do, just because my ears are open to him. That's what I want him to do for me. See, this thing is incredible to me because Moses, he listened, and then he did question God. God, are you sure? Okay, let me try again. God, are you sure? 
You know, and this, this version actually doesn't tell us, but Moses says to God, God, I stutter, do not send me. And God makes provision for the fact that he is still going to use the person he has told to go. And he says, okay, I'll send someone with you, but you get up and you go. Goodness. So the other night, Kip was giving our boys a bath. We've got an 18, uh, a 17-month-old and a 4-year-old, and they are all that is men. And Wilder, our 18-month-old, has this new little expression that we call the scowl. And if anything happens that kind of upsets him, he shows us this epic scowl. And it's very long and dramatic and drawn out. And unfortunately, I have yet to effectively capture a photo of it. And so Kip had this brilliant idea that um, he was going to try and capture a photo of it in the bathtub. And he said to Crosley, son, you dump a cup of water on Wilder's head. I'll snap a photo, and then we'll have a picture of the scowl. Kip thought it was a great idea. I thought it was a brilliant idea, not at all. I did not know of this plan. I was doing the dishes, or surely I would have gone and rescued my poor child in distress and saved them from the plot of the men. Outdoorsmen, terrible, terrible people. No, he's a really great dad, actually. But the next morning, Crosley fesses up and he says, Mom, Dad had a terrible idea last night. (laughs) He said to me, Crosley, you get a cup of water and you dump it on top of Wildy Boy's head and he'll do that frowning thing that he does and I'll take a picture and then mom's going to laugh. And I told him, Dad, I think this is a terrible idea. <laughs> but mom, I wanted to obey daddy. So I did it and he cried and it was dad's fault. See, but I love this mean daddy moment aside. I love that my four-year-old already understands. It doesn't always work out this way, but he understands the importance of obeying the voice of his dad, the voice of his father, even if it seems like a crazy, terrible idea. This is called obedience. Moses questioned God, but he still chose to obey. So God tells Moses, go and remind the Israelites about this. God of theirs, that they need to rescue them from Egypt. See, their ancestors had gone to Egypt um, as visitors 400 years previous, and they had then been enslaved by Pharaoh. So 400 years pass, and they hardly remember this God that their ancestors worshipped and served. And so they needed reminded. So God gets their attention and says, hey, I have been unnamed Many of the Canaanite gods you know of are unnamed. Well, guess what? I'm going to give myself a name. Why? Because people who truly know the name of God choose to trust him, choose to serve him, choose to obey him. So as I studied for this message, I asked, what does a name really signify? Now, the Old Testament names um, are very symbolic, and I came across some really interesting information. So there's this guy named Hosea in the Old Testament, and he named one of his children a name that meant not to be pitied. And he named another child that had a meaning of not my people. Son, you are not my people. Interesting choices, not his best dad moments, I'm guessing. But then Isaiah was filled with hope, and he named one of his children a remnant shall return. 
See, I think God always uses a remnant of people. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the meaning of a name gave a clue to the character of a person. And the name became a message that that person was supposed to live out. So let's take Moses. In Hebrew, his name means pulled out. He was literally pulled out of the Nile River, and now he was to go and pull out the people from slavery. Talk about living up to your name. Joshua, his name meant savior, like not the savior of the universe, but the savior of the people. Now the name Jesus, it has the same root meaning of the name Joshua, but it meant savior for Jesus would save his people from their sins. This one is is so near and dear to my heart because I am I am a lover of the church of Jesus. Like it is just in the very DNA of who I am. And this name Peter means rock. The the name Peter is um it means that which I will build my church upon. And Jesus said to him, Peter, I will build my church upon you. You are my rock. And Peter did. So the reason that knowing God's names helps us trust him with our daily affairs and our eternal destinies is that in Scripture, a person's name signifies their character, their ability, their mission, especially if a name is given by God. So listen to this. Adam names his wife Eve in Genesis 30:20 because she is the mother of all the living. God, in Genesis 17:5 changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Abraham to show that he had made, he was made the father of many nations. And then, in Genesis 32:28, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. So see, God is so intentional about how he names his people and himself. Then, when the Son of God comes to the world, his name is not left up to chance. In Matthew 1.21, it says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So what does it mean when you ask your God, God, what is your name? And he responds, I am. My greatest prayer this morning is that we would begin to understand how important these words are today. That we would not walk out of here and just forget what has been spoken, not because of anything I say, but because how this name applies in our lives. So today, I want to simply and quickly look at seven things that the name I am implies in our lives and in the God that we serve. Don't worry, I can speed talk. So number one, The first implication is that God exists. I am. It leaves little question. God is there. So at first, this might seem really obvious and basic and as if I don't even need to mention it. And it is obvious and it is very basic. But the reason I need to mention it is because so many of us live our lives as if it were not true. Or if we do claim that we think it's true, We live our lives as if it makes really little to no difference anyway. It doesn't change or affect our daily lives in much of any difference at all. So number one, God exists. The second implication in the name I am is that no reality exists behind God. See, God's personality and his power is owing solely to himself. So I want to push back before there was any earth 
any solar system, any, any galaxy, any universe at all. And I want to push back in our imaginations to when there was only God. And then now, if you can, push back before God, behind what we know to be God. See if you can do that. Now, how did he get to be the way he is? If you ask me, Heidi, how did you end up the way you are? I would say, well, God designed me through a set of genes with my mom and dad, and I had a plethora of influences throughout my life, and the environment and circumstances I was put in made me who I am today. But when we ask who God is, he answers, I am who I am. So in other words, nobody gave me a set of genes. Nobody and no power brought me into existence or shaped my personality. I have no beginning. There is no reality outside myself that did not come from me. So there's no force or influence upon his character and no power except that which comes from himself and is controlled by him. He is utterly absolute. Behind him, there is absolutely no reality. He is the I am. Number three, God does not change. This third implication of the name I am is that God does not change. Malachi 3.6, I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. And within the name Yahweh is the affirmation, I am who I am. So if God is not determined by any force outside himself, then he is not subject to the changes that we are. Some husbands sitting here today are wishing their wives are a little bit more like God in this department. Not subject to change. But people change their minds because of unforeseen circumstances or weak resolution. But God never changes, and he has no weakness. He does not change. And so nothing in all of creation can take him off guard, can back him into a corner where he might have to act out of character or compromise his integrity. He is who he is, and that's why James says in James 1.17, with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. See, his absolute name is the very granite foundation of our ongoing confidence in his faithfulness. God does not change this one I love. It's very personal to me in this season of my life. Um, he is an inexhaustible source of energy. Isaiah 40, 28 says this, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Now, this past week, we had kind of a situation come up that we didn't really anticipate. And some people in our lives that we love dearly, um, there was a little bit of a conflict, I guess you would say. And some things were said that were hurtful that really hurt my spirit and my heart and got me down, and um, I lost a whole night of sleep over it one night, laying in bed, just tossing and turning and really going, God, is there any validity in these accusations? Do I need to, do I need to change anything about who I am, or, you know, what, what is this really about? Where is this coming from? And um, I lost that whole night of sleep, and the next morning, I was supposed to hit the ground running with message prep, and I had 
childcare lined up for my kids. And I literally could not function because I was so tired. And throw pregnancy on top of that. And I, my sister gave me some great advice. She said, just set your alarm, sleep for 30 minutes, and then wake up and feel refreshed. And so I thought, you know, God, I'm going to just focus on what I'm going to preach about. And I'm going to focus on your name. I am. And I'm going to ask you to give me rest. Be my unending source of energy. And so I did. I laid on the couch and I set my alarm for uh, 30 minutes and I just started to focus on the name of God, on what he is able to do, that he is my source of energy. And I stopped focusing on the words of the people of what I was not and I instantly fell asleep and I got rest and I woke up feeling peace and refreshed. The situation didn't go away, but I felt peace. And so If God is that everlasting, absolute reality, then he is the creator of the ends of the earth and of this universe. If he's the creator of everything, then all energy and all motion has to originate from him. Somehow all energy in the universe has to get started, right? Right. So since God is first and an absolute reality, it starts in him. He is our inexhaustible reservoir of power, and I have been claiming that this week. Energy. You're my source of energy. So this truth means he is energy. He is power. His personality is radiant with infinite energy. He never needs recharging. He never needs backed up. He never needs rebooted. He is everything that is plugged in to him. Everything in the universe plugs into him and is powered through him. If he ever were to shut down, there would be absolute nothingness. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. We are who we are because of him. He cannot faint or grow weary. He is our unending river of life, the source of our strength every morning. And he will be for all of eternity if you choose for him to be in your life. He will not force himself upon you. Number five, objectivity is crucial, meaning it is important that we believe in objective truth rather than our own subjective feeling or desire. We might desire that God would be a certain way, and we might feel that he simply cannot be the way that some people say he is. You might be sitting there thinking, you are crazy, girl. I don't believe anything you're saying. That's fine. You don't need to believe anything I'm saying because I'm speaking it from the word of God. And um, his word is truth. So it's not my opinion. It's his truth. But what we feel or what we desire does not make God who he is. So when God says, I am who I am, he humbles us. He calls us, rather, to humble subjectivity to who he is. See, he puts an end to the notion that everybody's view and opinion of God makes any difference whatsoever. God is who he says he is, and nobody's opinion of him makes a difference. So therefore, my calling and your calling as his creatures whom he has created is to strive to know him for who he is and not for who we would like him to be. We must know him for who he is and not for who we would like him to be. Number six, I am means we must conform to God and not he to us. See, if children should learn their manners from their parents, 
and not parents from the children? If a player should learn their moves from a coach and not the coach from the players? Or if um, a soldier should take his orders from his general and not the general from the soldiers? Then surely it is plain that creatures that were put on this universe should conform all of their lives and the will of who they are to their creator. Yet few of us follow the path of reasonableness. The vast majority of God's creatures go their own way with little to no thought or regard of conforming their lives to the daily will and the character of an absolute God. We kind of see it as optional. If it works for us one week, great. If not, fine. That is not how God works. When we think of God, many of us often picture him kind of arbitrarily in images of our own making. And they often try to suit our own desires. But if God simply is who he is and not who we make him out to be, then it is we who must conform to God and not he to us. Seven, this God, the I am, has drawn near to us in Christ Jesus. This this final implication of this magnificent name, I am who I am, is that this infinite, absolute, self-determining God has drawn near to us through his son, Christ Jesus. In John 8, 56, Jesus is answering some criticisms um, from Jewish leaders. And he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day, and he saw it and he was glad. The Jews, thinking they had caught him in a lie because Abraham was older than him and therefore not living, says, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Could Jesus have taken any more exalted words upon his lips? Before Abraham was, I am. Before I lived and walked on this earth, I am. See, he took up all of the majesty and the truth of the name of God, his father, but he wrapped it in humble servanthood. He offered himself to atone for our rebellion, and then he made a way for us to see the glory of God without fear of falling short. For surely we would fall short if it were left up to us. See, in Jesus Christ, we are born of God the I am. We have the unspeakable privilege of knowing Yahweh as our father, the I am, the God who exists, whose personality and power is owing solely to himself and to none other, who never changes, who for all power and energy in the universe flows the source of life, and to whom all creation should conform its life whom he chooses to draw near to us through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the name of God that I so long for you to know today. This is the God, I am who I am. And may those who know the name of God put their trust in him. 
because God cares so much for you and for me, so much that he was compelled to make a way for his people to come back to himself. Those who were in slavery after 400 years and those who sit in these chairs, some of you in the same slavery those people were in and you just don't know it yet. All you have to do is trust that God is I am. When the servant shows up and says, hey, there's this God who made you, informed you, and he is your and I am, you just have to believe and you have to trust. He captured Moses' attention, and I believe he's trying to capture yours today. Some of you are already Christ followers, but you've got to wake up to what God wants to do in your lives. I so want to be one that will whip off my sandals in scalding hot sand and be used by him and look ridiculous if that's what it takes just to obey. Moses obeyed the Father's voice. I want each one of you to just close your eyes for a moment, if you would. And I want to talk to a group of people that might be here today who does not know God the Father. Maybe this all sounds like Hebrew to you. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But I believe that something has been stirred in your heart and in your spirit, and you are being drawn to know the one who calls himself I am. I want you to know that in this very moment, this is your humble opportunity to return to the creator as his creation. See, you too You're in this place and this is holy ground, not because of this building or because of anyone that is here, but because of the power and the spirit of God that is in this place. He is here, he is with his people today and he's trying to draw you to himself. If you seek him, you will find him. And I'm gonna pray in a minute and I want every one of you to just rise to your feet and I don't want you to worry about what anyone is thinking around you. Go ahead, get on your feet right now. I want you to just keep your your heads bowed for a moment. Don't worry about what people are thinking around you. The majority of us are Christ followers. And so I promise you that if this is your moment, we will rejoice with you. And we will say, welcome to the family. We are so thrilled. You are why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. God made a way for you. All you've got to do, you've got to admit that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to say, God, I've sinned, I've fallen short, and I need you to forgive me. He will be faithful. He will be just to forgive you of your unrighteousness. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. And nothing you can convince yourself or try to talk yourself out of that makes you not good enough will stand up in front of his glory because he says, I have forgiven you as far as the east is from the west. And guess what? I don't remember it anymore. And so you don't have to remember it anymore. You can drop it at the foot of the cross and you can leave it there. And then you can stand up being made new in the image of God the Father. This was his plan for you from the beginning of time. He says, I am in you. I am with you. I am for you. I am able. I am everything you need. I am that I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Do not talk yourself out of this. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. I can promise you this, someday every 
single knee, including yours, will bow to the creator of the universe. And you have to be ready. You have to have made your choice because he is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride. As a groom looks forward to marrying his bride, he's coming back to take us to be with him in eternity. And see, the decisions you and I make right now determine our eternal destiny and possibly the lives of millions of people to come behind us. So this is your moment. I wanna pray, and if you want to step into that relationship with Jesus, I want you to just pray in, the, in your own space right there and agree as I pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've made a way for someone like me, someone who's fallen short, someone who's stepped into sin instead of keeping my eyes on you. God, I have sinned, but I believe that Jesus is your son, and I believe that he died on the cross to make a way for me, and I believe that you raised him from the dead to prove your power over death. So right now, I humble myself, and I return to you, my creator, as your creation. And I say, be the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. Live up to your own name that you gave yourself, that you would save me from my sins. I claim this promise in the name of Jesus for the power and the glory of who you can be through me. And God, I pray that you would seal this in each heart, those that already know you and those that are just stepping into knowing you. God, that lives would be changed right here, right now, as we stand on this ground which is holy as we seek to obey your name, as we seek to know who you are, and as we strive to obey you better. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.